Okay, hi, welcome everybody to our Parshas Tazria 5782 class. For those of you listening out there on Torah anytime, and for those of you listening out there on the OU, all right, um, I, you can, you can, I, we have two options for all of you. And that is number one, that you can get the source material. We always have almost 99% of the time have pages of Makoros. You can get the source material by um, emailing me at estween at gmail. If you would like to join our WhatsApp group, we have a chat called eween or Esther Ween Shirim, something like that, questions and answers where people discuss the topics that we're talking about in the classes. And there's a very interesting discussion always pretty much constantly about what we're learning. And many people contribute amazing observations, chadushim insights. And if you'd like to join that chat, it's not for the, um, it's not for the weak hearted, okay? <laughs> it is a constant chat. Uh, five, um, you, can, you can WhatsApp me, 516 526 2096. All right, here we go. Um, here we go. Parshas Tazria, dedicated this week by for Rafua Shalema Chayabas Rifka, one of our good friends and listeners, Ruchi Ackerman Li'iloi Nishmas, her father in law, Naftali Svi Ben Shraga Feivel, and Pessy Florins, one of all the, you know, one of our also Ruchi and Pessy good friends and contributors and listeners on the occasion of her daughter, Sarah Shell's wedding to Zev Grumman, Mazel Tov. Okay, our Chacham of Chesed campaign is in good swing and, and your money is going to very good causes. Here we go. Our agenda today is to focus carefully on the first eight Pesukim of Parshas Tazria, and then in general on the next parak, which is very long, and uh, 59 psukim about Saras. But the goal is to understand how the parsha of a Yoled, that someone giving birth and her Tumah, and how that is, um, how she uh, exits the state of Tumah, how that is a proper, you know, a fitting introduction to the whole entire topic of Saras. In the larger picture, what we are doing is we are continuing to investigate a most personal and urgent matter, which is cheros, freedom. And essentially the beginning of freedom is extricating ourselves from where we are constrained, meaning where we are stuck. And we are, when we say we're stuck, we mean that our sense of who we are, our I, our ani, our self-concept is somehow enmeshed where it doesn't belong. We identified three areas where our ani gets stuck. One is, of course, the body and our possessions, the physical trappings of our life. We I, often people identify by their bodies, by a certain physical image, physical, you know, uh, you know, physical vision of themselves by their possessions. And the good news is that sort of that sort of takes care of itself. The beauty of aging, of not being able to really. Um, uh, hold on to the particular image a person would like to hold on to, 
in this culture today, it's youth and all of that, our possessions, eventually these things are separated from us. And we mentioned that uh, if we don't prepare now to extricate our sense of self from our body and our possessions, then when it happens against our will, which it will, um, it's very painful. It's called chibar hakever. We don't want to go through that. Okay. The other area where people get their self-image stuck, um, uh, Leia. Oh, Leia is dedicating this shear. I'm sorry, this wasn't for some reason. This was not in the. I didn't get this notice. We are dedicating today's shear to my father Avram Ben Shimshon Eliyahu Alava Shalom, whose 33rd yard site is today. Oh, Leia. Yes, you did. Oh, I'm sorry because okay, I did get the message and I and I got it. It didn't end up on the document because I started one doc and then started another doc. I'm sorry. Okay, so Leia third. Thank you. All right. So now, um, next, the another area where the ani gets stuck is in the role we play for society, our identity in terms of our contribution, what you know, our tough get our role. And of course, we want to extricate ourselves from that because that is also not 100% in our control. Now we're and the third area where it gets stuck, and this is what we're focusing on today, is really primarily in our children because we view our children as not just extensions of ourselves, but some sort of referendum on how we're doing. It doesn't only have to do with biological children, but people that we're supposed to, we believe we're supposed to have an influence on, we're supposed to impact. And if we see that we're not having an influence, they're not um, conducting themselves as we would conduct ourselves, okay? That could create a, a lot of, uh, that could create a lot of stress a lot of agitation because it means that I, the me, my identity is somehow, um, is somehow, you know, uh, uh, deficient because I, when I see that person behaving in a way that is not, you know, is, is contrary to let's say my values or my, or my, my, my priorities, and I believe that I'm in that person and they're affected by me, then it's very, you know, it's very disturbing and it could lead to all sorts of anger, frustration. Now we're gonna add another, another element which comes up in Tazria, okay? About where we can easily get stuck and the Torah acknowledges and the language of the Torah is, is, is guiding us to, to notice that there, the, the, there's a huge danger always in terms of a person and their children, um, or who, again, it could be a spouse, it could be uh, good friends, it could be students, okay? It could be anyone that a person feels they're there to influence. Um, and it, and it, it's the Torah is keying us into becoming aware about the ultimate trap and mistake that we can make in this area. Let's read the Pesukim carefully. First of all, notice that Tazria comes after Shmini. There are eight Pesukim in this topic, in this Inyan, eight Pesukim. This Inyan also deals with the Brismila. So there's a whole eight thing going on here, which is not our focus today, but just to be aware of it. Okay. Let's look at the Pesukim. Medabra Shem Amosha Lemar. Dabriel Benesra Lemar. Isha, a woman. Kitazria. She's pregnant. Right? She conceives. Beyolda Zohar, a male. So she's tame for seven days. And on the eighth day, she gives him a bris Keep going. And then 
and then she is in this state of purification after the seven days. This is a 33-day state of purification. And what does that mean? What is her status? Well, she's not Tomei Nida in terms of her husband, but Okay, it's limited. She doesn't have to, um, you know, there's the only disruption, so to speak, is she cannot come to the base of Migdash or touch something that's designated uh, as Kodesh. Now, if she gives birth to Nekeva, she's Tame twice the seven. There's a lot to talk about this, which is not our focus today. And then she has um, 66 days. It's all doubled for a girl. But she can't come to the base of Migdash. Now, when those days of purification are over, this transition from being not being able to come to the Mikdash and then being able to come to the Mikdash. Now look what it says. It had earlier referred to her offspring as a Zachar Unakeva. Okay, and she was Tameh. She was blocked from coming to the base of Mikdash. And now when that time period is over, look what happens. tahara. When the days of this purification period are over, Labain Ulabas, suddenly, her children are referred to as a bane, a child, or a boss, a son or a daughter. Now look at this. Tavi, my father uh, um, pointed this out in his um, one of his shirim recently this week, that it switches from Zahar to Nekeva to Ben Abbas's. It was very intriguing. Never noticed that. Now look what else it says. Tavi keves ben shenaso. So it brings a, uh, a little lamb, okay, which is a less than a year old sheep. Ben Shanasa, La Ola, okay, it brings it for an Ola. So look at this. When it talks about that she's Tahar and her children are referred to as Bane and Bas, she brings an Ola, a fully burnt offering, but she also brings another carbon. She brings Ben Yona Otor, a pigeon or a turtle dove, Lachatas. She brings a Chatas to the opening of Oel Moed. Now look at this. The Hekrivul of Neashem, the Chiper Oleh. So when they, when they alter, offer this, before Hashem, and she gets atonement. We're talking about the chatas, okay? But taharami makar dameha, and she gets tahar, right? Zos Torah's hayoledes. This is the instructions of the woman who gives birth. Lezachar lenkevitz, which is back to zachar nekeva. So be aware of this, all right? There's an ola and there's a chatas. Look at it carefully. What is the offspring referred to when we're talking about an ola? And what is the offspring referred to when we're talking about a chatas? Okay, you can all unmute yourself if you want to, but be careful. Okay. And then it says, and if she doesn't have a seh, if she doesn't have an, a lamb, she can take two birds, two pigeons, or, um, you know, or two turtle doves. One for an Ola, one for a So let's spend a little time discussing this Ola, this Chatas. What do you think? When it comes to a Chatas, what are her offspring called? What do you say, guys? Ben and Bat. No, when, when it comes to a Chatas. When it comes to a chatas, they're called zachor nekeva. Look again in the pasuk. Okay, vehkrivu lefnei Hashem vechiper aleha. That means it's a chatas. Okay. Can it be that a, the ola is a rec, um, an admission of the fact that the children are a gift from Hashem? 
So let's just go slowly. So the chatas, the Torah is telling you, when it refers to the chatas, the children are called male and female, okay? When it refers to an ola, the Torah switches and it calls them benobas, you see? Okay. So look carefully again. Okay. When it talks about the chatas, the chiperoleha, this is the Torah, this is the rules of Zohar Nakeva. So you see that? Yes. Okay. Now let's add, uh, let's start talking about why she brings the chatas in general. Okay. And let's add another interesting observation. We're going to develop these two ideas. Number one, be aware that in every case, a chatas is always brought before an ola. Simple reason. What do you think? An ola is fully burnt offering, like Yitzchak was meant to be on that keda. It's every tamid, the two tamids every day was an ola. What's the concept of an ola? Um, what is the concept of a carbonola? Complete praise to a kaddish Complete devotion, complete self-abnegation, total giving of oneself. I exist as we said. We said that Yitzchak was like an Ola at the Hakeda. We, we said that, right? Exactly. So it means <clears throat> devotion of total self. It really means that I see myself anyway as part of you. I'm only here. My I don't see myself as a separate being. I'm do- totally devoted to you. That's an Ola. In every case, a chatas comes before an Ola. So why? Let's think. It's pretty obvious why. So that you should yeah, be so pure and... and- right. Okay. So every case of chatas comes over the Ola. But look at this. Look at this last pasuk. If she doesn't have a set, she can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. Echad la Ola echad la chatas. Interesting, right? Now, even though we're going to see that technically the chatas was brought before the Ola, that's the uniform way. The Torah is going out of its way to switch the order to teach us something. I don't even understand why she did anything wrong here. Right. And why does she bring a chata? So let's start sorting this all out. Why is there a chata? Here's our question. Why does she even bring a chata at all? Why, when the Torah is referring to a chata, does it call her offspring a male and a female as if they're just creatures, a male creature and a female creature with no relationship to her? Then when it talks about an Ola, it talks about her daughter or her son. Okay. And then it switches Ola and chata. You see all this? Everybody see what we're dealing with? Yeah, we're good? Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, uh, it, the reason that she brings the chatas, we always hear, is during labor, she might right. be cursing, so she might analyze be inappropriate. That. Right, you know. so let's, let's analyze that. Look in your notes, number two. Oh, because she might have said a vow that I'm never doing this again. Right, right. Guys, look before you, right, look in your notes, okay? <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that. Okay, Yafa, Yafa, look in your notes, okay? Everyone look in the notes. Don't say stuff that's on the notes, okay? Yeah, I'm just because, because... I didn't see the notes. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so, because we're going to deal with these questions. So, here we go. Nida 31b explains that a sin offering after birth is to atone for an inappropriate vow that she might have made during childbirth. Let's analyze this, okay? Rav Shem was asked by his disciples, why did the Torah ordain that a woman after childbirth should bring a sacrifice? He replied, when she kneels in bearing, when she's giving birth, she swears impetuously 
that she will have no more intercourse, intimacy with her husband. The Torah therefore ordained that she should bring a sacrifice. Okay, so Shimbri Yechai is always telling us Kabbalistic ideas, okay? Remember, we're dealing with Shimbri Yechai. Now, we have a lot of questions here about the pshat of this. It can't be taken at pshat value. And we have to go deeper. What is this chatas really all about? Here's all but the wait, questions. Wait, can I just ask something before we go on? Don't I ask a question that's the in the notes. notes. Wait, Yafa, don't ask a question that's in the notes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't read the notes. So read the notes. Okay. A chatas only applies, number one, here are all the questions on this, on this issue of her bringing a chatas. Number one, a chatas only applies to a chayef karis. She didn't do anything chayef karis by impetuously making a vow. There's, why is there a, 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 why is there a chatas here? Also, by the way, when we get to Tzorah, same thing. Okay, why is there a carbon chatas in Tzorah? This is not a chayef karis. So that's number one. We're not talking about a chayef karis, particularly if Tzorah is much worse than the Yoledet, but what did she do? She, when she was crazed, right, in childbirth, she screamed something because she didn't even mean it. By the way, in Eov we learn, Ain it Adam nitbas kaso. A person is never held accountable for their outburst when they are in a state of great agitation. And that goes to even someone like Eov, who's saying much, much worse. You know what Eov said, which by the way is canonized as a safer in Tanakh. Eov said, There's no Olam Haba, there's no Trisamesim, there's no Scharva Onesh, I hate my life, everything is unfair, etc. Okay. So, um, so, and he's, and that's canonized as a safer in Tanakh, meaning that a person in a state of terrible agitation can express themselves. Okay. And then eventually, you know, calm down. But uh, so first of all, so what in the world did the Oledis do that she has to bring a chatas? That's number one. Number two, this doesn't apply to all women. Every single woman has to bring a chatas. Not every woman does this. Some women, especially with the beauty of epidurals, people don't say this. There were plenty of people that gave birth that they don't, why is everybody caught up in this? Every single woman. Okay, number three, this vow is clearly impetuous. It's a shogate. She's not even, why is anyone even held accountable for that even in the slightest way? Fourth of all, her husband can annul her vow. Okay, and fifth of all, chatas is never the procedure for accidentally violating a vow. So there's too many questions on the simple meaning of this Gemara. Here, we're all good? Yes, except okay. it's bringing to mind the chashivas of what comes out of our mouth, even yes. if it was um, inappropriate, even if it was a vow, or okay. even the woman that didn't say it, but it was a thought process. Okay, so true. But the, is the lesson is the lesson here that be careful of everything that comes out of your mouth? Is that the lesson? Because it, then it wouldn't be necessarily with um, with a yoled, as someone who's giving birth. It would be in every case where somebody impetuously says something. It, it would not be unique to this. Okay, okay. let's go further. This what's happening here is the context. She's speaking in the context of childbirth. Let's go back to the original source, okay, of childbirth and sin and hate, all right? Hate and sin are found, hate and childbirth are found together all the way back in the beginning. Look at C, Voracious 3.16. After the eight from the eight Sadas, and we've talked about that endlessly, 
Misa death came into the world. And as we have learned that if you, if we simply clearly say that the Eitz Hadas is the, what we, we did a recent share on David Melch called the drug of Das. If the Eitz Hadas means the, the overwhelming temptation, okay, to trust our own judgments on what is good and bad for us, okay, by looking around the world and um, concluding, you know, what the nature of the world is from our observation of it with our physical eyes. So we will conclude, most basically, that we are very vulnerable creatures, very, very helpless, sub subject to all sorts of 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 um, <clears throat> of um, elements and events that we can't control, and that the fear above all is pain, suffering, and death. And we will look around and realize that we are dying creatures. The day you eat from it, you will be most humus. Doesn't mean they died on that day. You will see yourself as a death-bound creature. And what what happens is that the, the positive side of trusting our own interpretations and conclusions about what we see, okay, is, is a sense of confidence. I got this, I know this. The negative side is that what we see is going to inevitably give us the wrong message. And then when we say, I got this, I know what to do, it's gonna be all distorted because we're gonna be in our famous place that we call survival mode. Oh my goodness, how shall I avoid pain and suffering and death? And then I know, I know what's good and bad. So in survival mode, Every single crime, every ethical transgression, every terrible immoral act is good because it's going to help me survive. Okay, so Esther, can I can I interject one thing? <clears throat> Go ahead. Um, we also know from Pirkei Avos that maybe this is part of it that she's judged during childbirth. What do you what do you? There's like about? a judgment. Like I, I I read there in in the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos that I think that during childbirth she's judged, right? I don't know. Is there a judgment? I don't know. Uh, not in any, it's not in any shot that I heard about. No, it might be just be some sort of, I, I never heard that. Okay. I mean, it's a time of like your life hangs in the balance. So yeah. Okay. Right. So let's go for it. Let's go here. So what happens is once we approach the world from this perspective, look, look what happens. Elaisha Amar, one of the ramifications was that the woman was told, I will greatly increase your itzavon. Itzavon, we all need, know means what? Sadness. 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 This phrase, with sadness, you will give birth to children. What is the sadness here? And what we have to bring back into focus, something we've learned about, okay, is that our desire to have children all of childbirth can be framed correctly or can be distorted. See, if we operate in survival mode, all right, then really at the core of childbirth is the deepest existential sadness. Why? Because we look to these children as some sort of solace because we're gonna die and they'll at least live after us. We're deathbound. We think about our physical death as the end. And if we have children who are gonna live on after us, okay, then maybe we're not so dead, 
okay? Because we're, we're considering death, death in the physical world. We believe that that truly is death, that's the end. And therefore, if that's the end, well, at least something of us is continued. So suddenly there's a deep existential sadness and a, and a, and a relief, maybe, a relief of like, well, at least perhaps I'm not fully, I won't be fully forgotten, okay? But aren't the, the labor pains a reminder of the hate that we did with the Eitzadas? Uh, I don't know, because not everybody has labor pains. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, you know what I mean? It's not for everyone. But let's focus on this philosophical idea. Now, Rav Hirsch says, the word Eitzev, Sadi in the middle. Rav Hirsch has a whole system of relating ideas based on the words and how they're spelled. And when words are formed in the same part of the mouth, sometimes you can interchange letters. So the tzadi and the zayin are made with the lips and the teeth, tzadi, right? And zayin with the right, the tongue, lips, and teeth. So he says, you have to think of otzav, sadness, in context of ozav, oze. What does it mean to la'azov? La'azov means to to leave something. To depart. To depart, to leave something behind. Rav Hirsch goes further. He says, really what's happening here is our identity is meant to be understood that we do exist in a physical world and that we were always going to die. Okay, that's part of being physical. All right, that's part of it. But our, but this phase of physical life is an opportunity to identify ourselves as part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like the Ola, okay? And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. That's true pleasure in this world. That's the goal of all our experiences and all our challenges, to see ourselves as channeling the timeless truths of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the self-expression of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our way. That's what we're supposed to do. And when we forfeit, leave that behind, we recognize that we stepped away from that. We distance ourselves from that. We turned our back on that. We forfeited a self-concept, a way of living. And now where are we? Where are Ayeka? Where are we? We are in another state of mind where we are deeply identified with just the physical part of our life. And it we and therefore we live in fear. And therefore, if we have children. We, it relieves the fear a little bit because maybe this means I won't die when I'm dead. So there is a survival mode, sadness, forfeiture, and um, fear, a, a basis of fear that is expressed. And often people will say it directly, this is why they have children. But what happens with this is that the child is there to soothe the parent. Now, nobody wants to know that they are, have, that their view, that their life is viewed to, to serve someone else. They were created so someone else shouldn't be lonely, okay? You know, think about that. I was created so another person should have, should, should have an, should, you know, be able to have a friend or be entertained and not be alone. So I'm here not for what I can contribute and who I am, but in the service of someone else. My whole life is to serve someone else's needs. Okay, think about that. No child wants to think about themselves like that. And we know psychologically, it is very, very damaging when a child believes or is told or 
gets the message that they are there to heal the parent's pain. Okay, that is not the child's job. Is not child's job is not to heal the parent's pain. Whatever issues the parents are dealing with, whatever you know of anguish the parent has from their own upbringing, if they look to the child to heal them, okay, it, there will be uh, you know very dysfunctional situation going on. Well, so, there's always the expression that this child is my kaddish child. Right. Don't yeah. say kaddish for me. Right, like, something like that. Now. Now, Arthur, can I have a clarification, please? Are you saying that um, once once we leave the state of, uh, we forfeit uh, the state of, of mind and we're a little bit sad about that, that's the survival mode. And then when a child is born, it's we are put into total physical mode. But prior no, to that, no, we were no, no. Hashem? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm not saying that, that, that. I'm saying this, the, the big overriding picture, okay? The global picture is like this. In childbirth, in, in once humanity, once we, okay, embrace survival mode, which means I see the world and my main emphasis is how am I going to get through it in a way that is safe and that I don't have so much pain and that also I feel like I'm somebody, you know, all of that comes in. Uh -huh. And we basically, we abandon, we forfeit, we forget the, the true picture which is we exist within the greater existence and we're always here to channel that as best as we can. When we forfeit that, we enter into this, this, I, this life of always feeling under threat, always feeling vulnerable, always feeling that we have to, um, you know, kind of like take control of all the variables because there, you know, otherwise we can suffer, you know, and we don't want to do that. We are we're in we're in a mode which which is not conducive to really channeling Kodesh We're getting in the way because we're so busy with controlling everything so that we have the life we decided what we imagine for ourselves. So um, what happens in part of that whole part of that whole mindset shift is the way we see our kids, and our kids are there on some level because we've because. We look to them to give us some relief from our fear that we're going to die and be forgotten. Okay, so what? So that means we're just learning here. Okay, from a precious piece and voracious. Be aware that we can totally, you know, um, distort our relationship with our kids. That is not meant to be a relationship with our kids. So what is meant to be a relationship with our children? What is it meant to be? And this is very hard. So we're talking about cheros, our relationship with our children. And again, it doesn't mean only biological children. It's anyone we believe is a, is that we influence and we have an impact on that we're, we're expect to. Um, what is supposed to be the relationship? The relationship is supposed to be that um, here I am, a human being. I basically did nothing. And magically, Hashem grew a child in me. And I literally did nothing. Okay. I just contained it. Okay. And, um, and so this child really think about it. It's, I don't own it at all. Okay. It's not my, my property at all. And it's not here for me. Okay. And what is it here for? It's here because Akadosh brings children into the world this, in this way. It's a muscle for how we exist in relationship to Hashem. We're part of Akadosh Baruch Hu's existence. But, and, uh, and, and Akadosh Baruch Hu wants, 
um, created this, this whole muscle of childbirth to, to help us understand how much a parent, particularly a mother, cares for her child, how much a Kaddish Baruch cares for us, we're part of a Kaddish Baruch Okay, but what's my role here? My role is to, best of my ability, okay, to help, which is called chinuch, prepare this child for their tafkid, their real tafkid, which is to, we're going to get to it, develop a attachment and, and attain real joy, not, not atzvos, not sadness, but we're going to get to oneg, oneg, real pleasure, simply from being the one through which a Kodesh Baruch speaks in whatever situation, attached to Kodesh Baruch channeling it, there's true oneg in just knowing that you belong and that Kodesh Baruch is, is, is working with you and through you, and nobody can take that away from you, even if the circumstances are difficult, that's who you are, that's how you see yourself, and that allows a person to liberate themselves and get very unstuck from all the places they get stuck. So that is meant to be the proper perspective on childbirth. Whatever I, the best I can do um, with my wisdom, with my Masora, with my channeling the timeless truths, the good midos, the Torah truth to my kid, that allows a person, tachlis here, tachlis, when let's say a child, is behaving in a way that the parent is agitating the parents because they see their kid as an extension of themselves, okay? A referendum on themselves. They pull out, they just pull out and they say, no, wait a second, wait a second. This child is, 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 is given, is came into the world through me, okay? But my role here is to help this child see themselves as part of a Kodesh Baruch, okay? That's my role here. Now, Let's go back to the language in the psukim, all right? When a woman gives birth, as long as until she's tahar and until she brings an ola, these children are referred to as zohar unakeva, all right? Because she's in a state of tuma. As soon as she's ready to bring an ola, they become ben ubas. And regarding the, the, the chatas part, all right? The sin part, there is a harnakeva. So what's the chatas? What's the, what's the sin here? We asked a lot of questions on what's the sin. It's not a real sin. It's a potential sin. It's the reality that when a person, when a person is giving birth, they could easily slip into the mindset of these, that these, this, these children are here for me. And that's what some, but, and that's really the essence of a chatos, okay? She says, I'm not going to have intimacy with my husband anymore because this is so painful. I don't want to have children anymore. In other words, I don't, I, I'll even forego pleasure, intimacy, connection, because I'm in pain. It's about me, okay? The fact that somehow this is about me, all right, is the overriding hate of etzadas. It goes all the way back. And because we pretend every person, every woman with children, potentially slips into that area, that ultimate mistake of mis uh, relating to the children, they bring a chattis and we're told, you know what? As long as you see things that way, they're not your children. You're not gonna really, you're not gonna do the right, you're not gonna understand what they're here for. They're not, you're not going to play the role that you're supposed to play in regards to these children. So we're calling them a Zohar and a Keva, which by the way, reminds us very much of the Eitzadah story. Zohar and a Keva, right? 
once we get out of that tumma and we're in a state of tahara, remember tame is atum, it's blocked, right? We only see this world, right? The machitza is very thick. Tahara is transparent. As soon as we get out of that mode and we can see things clearly, and we understand how to relate to our children properly, then they're called benubas. Now they're your son or your daughter. And now you can play the role of the parent. Does this make sense, guys? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this makes sense? Yes. All right. So we're talking about in terms of Pesach and in terms of Cheros and in terms of dislodging ourselves from being, you know, looking to others, looking to others to give us a sense of security. Okay, we don't always do this with our kids. We can do it with other people too, a sense of security. I, of course, it's nice to have, of course, oh, chavrusa, oh, misusa, you got to have a good friend. You got to have someone who loves you. You cannot be alone. The most painful feeling in the entire world is being alone, being marginalized, being isolated, which is what we're going to get into Saras, because that's exactly what happens to Matsoro. They are put out, they're in isolation, they are alone. They don't deserve to be part of the community. That's how egregious the sin of the Mitzvah is. It's so bad. But there's even a deeper level to what's going on with the Mitzvah. But the introduction to Mitzvah is number one, that our relationship to our children and by extension to everybody, okay, is not survival mode. This is the essence of it. It is not, how can you be of service to me? How can you get help me get my needs filled, okay? And if you're not, even my emotional needs, even my needs for a sense of that I had some influence in this world, that I'm a fit, that I have, that, uh, that my, my life, you know, has, has an impact, even that need. And if, um, and if I can't get my needs met through you, or worse, I perceive you as threatening me getting my needs met, okay? then I can see you as an outsider who I can belittle and I can damage and I can try to discredit, okay? Which is gonna be the lead in to Tsaras. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we start getting into the- Can next- you repeat that again, please? Yeah, okay. So the, this concept that we, of the first apes of a Yoledes, a woman who gives birth, all right? Is emphasizing to us, according to this approach, by Rav Hirsch, that um, that there's a there's an almost an inevitable. You want to ask why every woman has to do it? Not everybody says this. There's almost like an inevitable association with the original hate. Okay, which is that we can slip into looking at other people as as entities that help us get our needs met, whatever those needs might be. Okay, my physical needs, my emotional needs, my, 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 my psychological needs. Now, what happens is if someone helps us get our needs met, we're, we like them and we're happy and we do, we're very generous and nice to them. But if we perceive that someone is not allowing us to get our needs met, first of all, they are, let's say, threatening our social standing. They're behaving in a way that reflects badly on me, I think, okay? Or they are making me feel like I have no influence. They don't care about what I have to say. So now my sense of self is threatened. We're all sort, we tend to look at people and immediately 
evaluate, are they threatening me on some level? And if they are, then it's a free for all. I can belittle them, I can discredit them, I can do whatever I can do so that they have no impact and I have greater status compared to them and I can get my needs met by, by, by making sure that they don't come in like a threatened. So this is a lead in to Tsaras. We see, does that make sense? I think so many people are in so much denial that they don't even recognize that that's happening to them. Of course. So we all, we're, I'm guilty. We're, this um, is not a conscious level, is it? Yes, they consciously act that way, right? Some yes and some no. Okay, let's go on. It's levels of conscious. Look at the Malbim. What does this teach us about Taras? Remember we asked the question, why is the Ola mentioned before the Chattas? In terms of actual procedure, the Chattas is offered before the Ola. But why does the Torah put the Ola before the Chattas? Malbim explains that when a Chattas is offered, I mean D, as an atonement, it takes precedence. Not only is it offered before an accompanying Ola, it is the more important of the pair. But in the instance of a woman who has given birth, the chattis is not offered as an atonement. Therefore, although the chattis is offered first in conformity with the general principle, the Ola is the more significant or more important of the pair, meaning it's mentioned first. The Talmud is telling us that this is the message of the passage. The Ola is mentioned first in order to communicate the relative significance of the pair. The Ola is more essential, right? We said she didn't really do a sin. It's reminding us of the original chait, the danger where we need to earn by, 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 by choosing the proper perspective, the right to call these children, my daughter, my son, Bain or Bas. Because if we call them my daughter, my son in survival mode, it's, gonna, it's not pretty. But if we call them my daughter, my son in creator mode, that's what's proper. So now, although she's, there's no real chatos here, but the Ola, it's really just to remind us, to teach us about this. The Ola is brought first because really a woman is given birth, especially the miracle of childbirth, how can a person not believe in God when the miracle of, of, the, of the pregnancy and childbirth and a person recognizes we're really part of something much bigger, that is the Ola, that in emphasis comes first, but of course, procedurally, the Chattas comes first. So we understand this is a very, very different sort of Chattas, correct? Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to Taras. Taras is very different. It's so what you're saying is the Chattas has nothing to do really with the woman. It's going back to the original Chattas. It, right. In other words, every it, the concept is this is the area of danger that you might slip into exactly that space, that Eta Das space of giving birth in survival mode, which means then there's a sense of atzvus, sadness, because Azav, I, I've abandoned that place, I've forfeited that place of relating to myself and to my children correctly. Now I relate to my children as you know, kind of like insurance policies that I won't be forgotten. So there's sadness in that. I'm having kids because I'm sad I'm going to die. <laughs> okay. So yes, it's we're going back to that big original idea. All right. All right. Now let's look at this. Now we're, we're in Sefer Vayikra. So we're talking about all sorts of Tuma. All right. The Tuma, the Tuma of a Mitzorah is totally different than the Tuma of a Yoledes. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. The Yoledes is giving birth, and we're going to see that the Mitzorah is actually associated with a stillborn, okay, with a child that comes out dead. 
and its form of tumma is much, 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 much greater. And at the end of the whole process, a recovered mitzvah brings an asham, a guilt offering, a chatas, a sin offering, an ola and a mincha, all of them, okay? It's really a big kapara that is required. All right, what is taras? So the Talmud, the Gemara lists seven reasons why one might be afflicted. So it's gossip, murder, which is gossip is a form of murder, perjury, another form of um, de devaluing another person, lying and right under oath and all of that, forbidden sexual relationships, arrogance, theft, and envy, okay? All of them, all of them, um, Ben Adam Lachavero, forbidden sexual relationships are somewhat Ben Adam Lamakom, except Eshasish, which is obviously Ben Adam Lachavero. Okay. Um, now, uh, Iris, that's a good question. Remind me at the end. The Tal, okay, now, the, the um, Midrash, the Midrash focuses on Lashon Hara. As many, as have many modern and contemporary commentators, can, why is the emphasis, why do you always hear about Lashon Hara? We don't hear about all the other ones, theft and envy and, and perjury, because the word mitzora is really short for motzei shemra. I'm sure you've heard that, right? And mitzora is someone's motzei shemra. They, they, um, motzei shemra is different than Lashon Hara, just to be clear, Lashon Hara is exposing something true that's very, very humiliating, okay, about the person, something they prefer would have never been known, and we, we expose it, that's called Lashon Hara, all right, whereas Motsi Shemra is when a person literally just makes something up. They just, you know, say something that is, that there's no basis for, they just create a rumor, all right, because it could even be that they heard something, and then you know how it goes with telephone, and then by the time it's repeated, it's, it's radically embellished and it has no connection to truth. And that's called Motsi Shemra. Okay, Motsi Shemra is when you just, there's no MS in it. All right. Now, so we associate Taras with Mitsura Motsi Shemra. What happened? Um, what happens to this person? If a person was afflicted with Taras in their skin, they are required to reside away from other people, meaning they are kicked out of the camp for seven days, wear torn, ragged clothing, keep their hair unkempt, they don't brush their hair or anything cover up their entire body, including their face, except maybe their eyes, and scream out, tummy, 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 tell everybody that they're tummy, okay? So we're talking about extreme social isolation, excommunication, um, um, you, um, Malki, that's very nice in your comment. Um, we are talking about making it very clear, you are not wanted here. Okay, you are unwanted. You have no value in this community. You cannot come in here, all right? Disgrace yourself. Now, what happened to, um, what, 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 what's so bad about this? And this, you know, you could give the same speech I'm giving right now, what's so bad about Motsi Shemra? It's the essence of survival mode. It's the extreme opposite of what we just talked about by, by the Yoledes. It's saying, I am, uh, I, 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 I view everybody as fair game for me to discredit, devalue, humiliate, okay? Why? Because something triggered me, something about them, something made me feel that, you know, I, that I'm threatened. Something made me feel threatened, anything about them. Maybe they're prettier than me. Maybe they, um, maybe they, 
Maybe they're right. Maybe they said something smart and made me look dumb. Maybe they um, they're more successful. Maybe people somebody just praised them. I don't know anything. Anything. They made me feel threatened, and therefore there's no limits. Okay, so this person is the extreme opposite. They're the essence of survival mode. Now, more than that, they have a level of tuma that's even stricter than a dead person. Okay, when a person is more, somebody is tummy because they touched a dead person, they don't have to do all this stuff. This person is, first of all, the taras is when their skin is like dying. Okay, second of all, they have to be totally isolated. All you know, they go through this extreme humiliation. Um, it's worse than tummy mace, it's more severe. Why? Look what. Aaron says, when Miriam got Saras, by Midbar 12.12, he looks, right, Miriam, what did Miriam do? What did, you know, the first two incidents of Lush and Hara are Moshe and Miriam. How do you like that? Now, did they really say Lush and Hara? What happened there? Moshe said they're not going to believe me, and for a good reason, by the way, because, you know, there had never been a Navi that had come and said, Hashem said, do this and that. That had never happened before. No one ever spoken in God's name. Um, and uh, Moshe and Miriam felt compassion for Tzipporah. But in both cases, okay, in both cases, Moshe and Miriam, what did they do? They underestimated the people they were speaking about. Moshe underestimated Amisho and Miriam underestimated. She didn't understand Moshe's Madrega. She underestimated him. She loved him. She devalued that. Oh, yes, yes, but oh, by underestimation, mm -hmm. not realizing who that you know that they were better than that. Okay, that they had a reason. There was a good reason for what why they were doing what they were doing. So when Miriam gets Saras, all right, look what what look what Aaron says. Alma tehikames. Let her not be like a dead person. But what sort of dead person? A, just a dead person, a regular dead person? No. A stillborn that's half disintegrated, meaning a baby that died in the womb and now it's coming out, but it's dead and already in the process of disintegration. What is going on? This is Saras, a Mitzorah. The message of a Mitzorah is you are a stillborn. Okay, you never made it out of the womb, you died in the womb. What is death in the womb? You know what death in the womb is? When you think the womb is your whole world and then a person goes into survival mode and in the womb, they're competing with everybody for status, power, you know, position in the womb, okay? There's a battle in the womb, right? There's a battle in the womb. This person comes out dead. They, they lost the battle. And now they're, they're coming out dead. A Mitsura, a person who's in survival mode, is as if a person who lives and dies in the womb, that's their whole world, and they don't win. No one wins this fight. Okay, people in survival mode die in the womb. They are dead in the womb. The womb, if that is their totally total environment, if that's how they see what life is, they will live, fight, and die, and 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 so to speak, and and self-destruct in the womb, and that's what Aaron said. Let her not be like a stillborn, lush and her or 
devaluing other people, viewing other people as threats to us, not estimating their value. It wasn't like Moshe, Miriam didn't see Moshe as a threat. She was much more subtle than that. She was un, underestimating him. So what this means is, look at this. Saras is, comes from the result, right? It's the result of a person's failure or inability to manifest the Tzelem Elohim in which they are created. The concept of being in the womb is to become aware that we are part of something greater than ourselves. It is not to go blind and kick and fight for power and position in the womb, okay? We've stressed this very, very, very much. So a person who's speaking Lashon Hara, a person who's Motsushema, a person who's belittling other people, the image in our head is a stillborn, okay? They died in the womb. Now, this extreme punishment, total isolation, indicates the misuse of speech and brings about the most extreme type of impurity, even more than the impurity known as avi avasatoma, the father of all impurities caused by contact with the dead. Okay. In the latter case, a person who has become impure is not isolated, despite the extreme type of impurity. He can be with other people and is distanced only from the temple, like the Oledis, and not from society. Okay. Um, I want to share, it's getting late now, but I just want to share this. The, the, let's go into, um, let's go into the great idea here. All right. It's a ras is called a nega. A nega. Um, we're going to speak next week, Amir Tashem, closer to Pesach and Tapashas Mitzora about Marcus Bechoros, which is also called nega, od nega achas. But Lashon HaKodesh is unbelievable. The word nega is used seven times, okay, which is, and of course, that relates to Shabbos, okay. The word nega, the Zohar says, is the same as the word oneg. Nega and oneg. How could this terrible affliction, being a stillborn, how does this become oneg? Where is the relationship with it? Look at the genius of Chadushe Harim. Chadushe Harim says, okay. Pasuk 1355, the Kohen is looking, looking at this affliction, all, all sorts of laws associated with it. Listen to this. Simply translated, it didn't change its color or it didn't change its, its, its presentation. But the Chadush Rim says it didn't change its ayin. It didn't put the ayin in front. Mm. According to the Chadush Rim, right, something is an affliction or an oneg, all depends where one places the eye. Think about the womb. If it's a nega, uh, it's a survive, it's a horrible place. People literally say, why would I bring my children into this world? People literally say that. Life is a nega. Okay. But it's all perspective. It could be an oneg. You know how liberating it is to stop expecting our kids to make us feel better about ourselves? <laughs> do, you know how, do you know how liberating it is not to lodge our sense of self in all these places that cause us agitation because we can't control them? How liberating it is to simply see ourselves as channeling Kodesh Baruch Hu, so always striving in every situation we're in first, humility, humility, calm, 
Midas Tovas, good, good, good Midos, love, respect for another person, viewing them as a whole world unto themselves that Hashem made them and they have to answer to Hashem and not to me. And of course, I have to be mechanach them, but they don't have to, nobody has to explain and defend themselves to another person all the time, certainly not when they're an adult. They have to talk, they have to explain themselves to Kodesh Baruch Hu and um, how liberating that is to not expect that, not need that. The living in this world can be a nega that could lead to tsaras, and you're, a person ends up dying in the womb and they come out not just dead, half disintegrated, okay? They don't make it out of the womb. They don't make it out in, in, a, in, a, in any functional way, okay? Meaning that when a person leaves the womb, moves to the next dimension, what we call olam haba, they're, they, <laughs> they, they, they're, they're already like a lost cause, chas v'shalom, right? So, um, so the alternative is to turn the entire experience into oneg. Rabbi Yochanan Bechafer explained the difference in oneg and simcha. Look, let's end with this mesilas yesharim. Oneg is like oneg Shabbos when we kind of feel like we're back in the womb. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do any, any survival mode. We don't have to worry about our food, clothing, shelter, right? So look at what, what the Mesil Sasharim says. Hine Masha Haran, what this is the beginning of Mesil Sasharim. Whatever Archachamim told us, Shah Adam, Lo Nivra, a person is created for no other reason. Ella except Lehisaneg al Hashem. Tab oneg with Hashem. To enjoy the radiance of experiencing. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu is dwelling in them, but more the Shechina Shochein we dwell within. The greater, Coming. The greater existence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Coming. Tasha, turn your mute off, please. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, we dwell within the greater existence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Shezehu Hatanuk Haamiti. This is Onik. This is pleasure. This is real pleasure. Va'idun ha'gadol mikol ha'idunin, or the delight beyond all delights that is possible to find. To find. Okay, this is real time. We could turn the process of being alive with all of its challenges from potential nega to onegs, where we put the I in. It's how we see stuff. Amazing, beautiful insight in Chodesh Harim. Wow. And, um, oh, Bobby Sandy, I didn't know that all of the Chodesh Harim's children died in his lifetime. Whoa. Yes, all of his children. Whoa. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Wow. That's like a real life view, but he looked at it this way. Amazing, really. Amazing. Now, somebody just made a comment. Not every stillborn is is a, is not a as a matzora. Of course, we're not meant to say that it's a child that's born chasrashom stillborn is no. It's just the mushal that uh, that Aaron uses in terms of saras that a person could do this to themselves. I just want to add one piece from David Foreman, one good visual, and then we're going to close. I didn't think about this. The carbon pesach, okay has to be, you have to take a set, just like this, a lamb, right? Well, a sheep, really. Uh, no, Karman Pesach is, is, um, uh, is to be one year old. And when, when we roast the Karman Pesach, the head, think about this, has to be bun, bunched on top, folded over, so the head is on top of the knees. Guys, what are we talking about? Numbers. Right. A, a fetus, a fetus, right? Take the fetal position, and you a take position, the blood, yeah. 
you take the blood of the carbon of the cell. Where do you put it? Where do you put, put on the doorpost? Where? On the doorpost. Where? On the cover. On the cover, right? Here. Where do you put the blood? On the, on the, the inside. Yes, the yes. where in carbon paste did you put it? You put it inside. On the inside. Where? On the inside of the door. Post. On the top and the two sides. Oh and what about the bottom? No, not. No, you don't. Not on the bottom. Do you? I'm. No. I. You know what? I want to. No, I don't think David, so. David said you put it on the bottom. I want to look into that. I'm pretty sure oh. I heard him say that. I'm not sure. But even if you don't put it on the bottom, okay. You, what is what do you think the imagery is? They walk through that door. They it's ate the and they walk through yeah. that door. It's, That's it's called, and it's and it's called the kever too, like death also, but a journey. Leave that for now. Leave that concept for now. They walked through that door. So that mm. means they exit. They get a chance to exit the womb and be free to serve a kadosh okay, baruch just One minute. And they didn't, so to speak, die in Mitzrayim. Remember when Moshe, they didn't become out stillborn. Remember when Moshe first encountered Kaddish Baruch? You want to put the TV on for what? Yeah, please. Um, when, they, when, when Moshe first encountered a Kaddish Baruch by the snare, what did he see? He sees a little bush burning and it wasn't dying. It wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being eaten. Look at the words that Aaron said. It's like she came out, right? She came out. And what happened? But Yochal, she was eaten. It was eaten. They Moshe saw the nation. They're not the snare. That's the representative of Amishol. They're not being eaten. They're not dying in this place. They are exiting Mitzrayim into a bigger world. Okay, into a world where they can serve a Kodesh so what is the takeaway, guys? I left the takeaway on the notes empty. I would love you to fill in your own takeaways and share it on the Q&A, okay? That's your homework. All right, everybody. Question, Esther. Um, yes. Didn't the Ramchal also lose his children in his lifetime? I don't know. I know he died at 40. They, they persecuted the Ramchal tremendously. Yeah, I know. I know he had a horrible life. Uh, and, oh but God. also another question, did he have grandchildren? Did their children, it doesn't I say. I don't know. Yes, the grandchildren yeah, took had... over after he died. And oh, the Ramchal is said to be the Gilgamesh of Akiva, right? Rabbi Akiva. No one knows this unless maybe the Ramchal said it for himself. I don't know. It's not above my pay grade. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you wasn't, so much for What's what? Oneg and, and Nega, wasn't that, is there an ayin? Is that an ayin? Yes. Yeah, ayin an tova. So, so you're saying to take out the ani. Is an ani with an no, ayin? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Ayin is your eye, your perspective. The see it properly. Right. Okay, beautiful. Thank you for a gorgeous share. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Chavis. Thank you. Thank you. Do your homework. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Good job. Thank you, Esther. Brilliant. Thank you. Call a Call a Thank you. Iris's question. I'll answer on the Q and A.